Well, I want to start things off this morning by showing y'all a passage of scripture that is really the entire inspiration behind this whole idea of groups, or maybe you know them as small groups, or cell groups, or community groups, or life groups. Every church seems to come up with some witty name for their groups, and we're actually no different. We will refer to them here as connect groups. And we find this particular passage of scripture in the book of Acts. Acts is a book that we find, it's actually the fifth book in the New Testament. The Bible's kind of divided up into two sections. We have the Old Testament, which is kind of the first half of the Bible, and we have the New Testament, which is kind of the second half of the Bible. And this book, Acts, immediately follows the gospel books. Now, we call those books the gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, because we think they deliver some pretty good news because they document the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And immediately after those gospel books, we have this book called Acts. Now, Acts is a book that was written by a guy named Luke. Luke, there's a couple things that we know about him. Luke was uh, a Gentile, so he was not a Jew. And number two, he was also a physician, so he's a really, really intelligent guy. And he's a very devout Jesus follower. And he writes this book as a way of documenting the birth and the growth of the church in the first century, which in and of itself was a really, really fascinating thing. Uh, this, the, the Christian church in that first century, after Jesus into, uh, ascended into heaven, it absolutely exploded. Now, it didn't explode because there was this physical Bible that, that you know, was being handed out and people were reading the Bible and then they started believing in this stuff. Uh, in fact, we didn't have what we refer to now as our Bible, where the Old Testament was combined with the New Testament, until about 388 A.D., so there's this like this 350 year gap between the time that Jesus ascended into heaven until we had a physical Bible, but yet during that time frame, and particularly in that first century, the Christian church absolutely exploded, and it exploded because there were all these eyewitnesses that saw Jesus die, and then they saw him roaming around, and they're going around telling everyone because they're so excited about what has happened, they're going, listen, I saw this guy die, and then three days later, he wasn't dead anymore. In fact, he was walking around and he was having conversations with people. And I don't know about you, but if I see a guy die and then I see him rise from the dead, I am going to pay a whole lot more attention to what he had to say, particularly if he predicts it. And this guy wouldn't shut up about it. He was calling this long before it happened. And so hundreds and even thousands and thousands of people converted to Christianity. And in this second chapter, in the book of Acts, uh, the writer Luke, he describes what it is that he is seeing among all of these converts to Christianity. And apparently it was unlike anything the world had ever seen to this point. This group of people that we now refer to as Christians, and you might identify yourself as a Christian, there was this level of selflessness that nobody had ever seen before. I mean, they're watching this, and there was something so attractive about it. You could even say that it was contagious. And ironically enough, if you read this particular passage of Scripture out of the New Living Translation, there's a lot of different translations that we have for the Bible. They all convey the exact same thing. They're just all slightly worded differently. I prefer the NLT or the New Living Translation because I think it's the easiest to read. And the header for this particular section out of the New Living Translation, it reads this. It says, the believers form a community. Now notice that it doesn't say the believers started a church, the leaders met in a building. No, it says the believers form a community. There was this sense of like, okay, these people like know each other. These people are actually invested in one another's lives. And it starts there and it says this. It says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, like all of them, as in 100%. And to fellowship, hanging out with each other. They actually like going and spending time with one another. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. I mean, who wouldn't like that, right? Miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. And then it goes on to make this statement, which is pretty startling, right? They shared 
everything they had. I mean, they were so good at sharing. It says they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, like what we're doing here. They, they met and they had church. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, every single day, the Lord added to their fellowship, to their community, those who are being saved. Every single day, people were putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And whether you call yourself a Christian or not, a Jesus follower or not, isn't there something inherently attractive here about what we just read? Now, if you're not a Christian, you might care less about the idea of praying together and sharing the Lord's Supper together and those types of things. But whether you're a Christian or not, isn't there something contagious? Like, man, I kind of want to be a part of something like that. When you hear things like sharing meals and miraculous signs and wonders, and they shared everything they had. I mean, how about this statement uh, in particular? And all the believers, I mean, again, all of them met together in one place, and they literally shared everything they had. Like they would have people over at their homes and there was no like, okay, yeah, you can kind of just make yourself at home, but don't go in my bedroom. That would be weird. Like they didn't have a room like that. They shared everything. There was no like, hey, you can come over to my house. You, you know, really, you are welcome to use anything, but you can't use my phone. In fact, there's a password on that. So good luck. You wouldn't be able to get in that thing. There was nothing off limits. And it says they sold their property. And, and this statement, it, it just takes us by such surprise because it's so counter to American culture. It says they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Like people would have a need and somebody else in that community would go, dang, you really need something. And they would take things that they owned, that they had earned, that they had worked for, and they would get rid of them in order to meet those needs of other people. I mean, somebody would lose a job and they wouldn't say, hey man, I'm really gonna be praying for you that you find a new job. I'll keep an ear out for you. No, they're like, oh dang, you're probably gonna be strapped a little bit financially until you find a new job. So here, I'm gonna go sell some of my stuff and give you some money. It wasn't like, hey, I'm so sorry to hear that your car broke down. You know, I'll even drive you to the dealership if you need. They were like, oh no, I will go find a way to buy you a new vehicle. They sold their stuff and shared the money with those in need. And you might not even be able to put your finger on the why. I mean, why you hear something like this and you're instantly attracted to it. Why sharing and being generous is something that, let's be honest, it comes so unnatural to us, but when we see other people living it out, it's something that we desire. It's something that we long for. Isn't it true that there is something incredibly contagious when we witness authentic community? And you know what's so interesting? When it comes to community, you can't fake it. And again, this isn't a Christian, this isn't a churchy thing, this is just a people thing. Anyone has the ability to sniff this out from a mile away. When people really know each other, when people genuinely enjoy being around each other, you know it. You can see it, you can feel it, you can sense it down in your bones. You may or may not know this, but one of the things that, that we really, really fought for long before this church ever opened our doors here back in mid-January was to be this like tight-knit, unified community. When my wife and I knew that we were supposed to plant this church up here in Grand Blank, one of the most startling realizations right away was that, crud, we can't pull this off alone. Like We need people to come and like help us do this. 
And so about a year and a half ago, we started to kind of have conversations with people and we asked people to dinner and we basically just begged people to come alongside us and help us start this church. And I am so excited that I can share with you that when we started this church, there were 67 adults on the launch team, as we called it. 67 people that were just as committed, that are just as committed to getting this church off the ground as my wife and I are. And we really placed a value on being connected and that didn't happen overnight. Starting in mid-September, we started meeting every single Wednesday night and we met every single Wednesday right up until we launched because we thought there was such value to being connected. One of the most common things that we've heard since starting this church from people like you, people that show up here on Sunday mornings is that when you walk through our doors, you feel welcome. It seems like people actually like being here. It seems like we actually like hanging out with one another. Well, let me tell you, that's not an accident and it definitely didn't happen overnight. Your authenticity radar did not steer you wrong. We can sniff this out from a mile away. When people are faking it, it is so stinking obvious. And you might have showed up here because you saw something on Facebook. You might have showed up here uh, because you got something in the mail. Maybe a friend invited you. But those things did not keep you coming back a second or a third or a fourth or a fifth time. Chances are you have continued to come back because you sense something different here. You feel welcome. You walked in and you're like, dang, these are like normal people. Like, these are people that I would actually, like, hang out with. These are kind of like my people. And chances are you've showed up and you've continued to come back. Whether you've even realized it or not, whether you've even tried to define it, put it into terms, because of community. Connection with other people. And that is no accident that you are attracted to that. Because we, none of us, were created to do life alone. We all have something inside of us, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, we all have something inside of us that longs for connection, that longs for community. It's why that passage in Acts is so attractive to us, even if you are horrible at sharing. Chances are, it's why you've continued to show up here. We as human beings, we long for that connection. We long for community. But I have a dirty little secret for everyone this morning, and this isn't necessarily a popular thing to say at churches, but you all are mature. I think you can handle it. There's like a 99.9% chance that you are not going to find that, 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 that connection that you are subconsciously longing for here on Sunday mornings, here at these weekend services. The unity that we share the connection that we were able to form as a launch team, it didn't happen on Sunday mornings. It happened on Wednesday nights as we shared life together, as we ate pizza together, as we laughed together, as we had white elephant gift exchanges together, as we read together, as we prayed together, as we got vulnerable with one another, as we actually began to share in each other's lives. I, I've worked now in the local church for a pretty good chunk of time. The, the local church has kind of always been something that's a part of my life. Uh, my parents started a church um, when I was 14 years old, and so I've pretty well ingrained in this whole thing. And I can tell you story after story after story of lives that have been completely transformed because of how Jesus has worked in those individuals' lives. I, I, I could tell you about a friend of mine named Joe, who I remember the, the church that I worked at prior to coming here. Uh, it was a church called Mile City. And I could tell you about Joe, and I remember the first day that he showed up, and he would come, he'd come every single week, and he would always sit right in the front row, and was just so stinking hungry, and he would take note after note after note, and he'd come up, and he'd have conversations with you, and when he came into this, this whole church thing, he was a little bit of a hot mess. I mean, he came in, and his life was kind of like all over the place. He was basically hopping from one person's couch to another person's couch. Now, you know, you fast forward here, he has this vibrant real 
relationship with God. He lives with a family that also attends that exact same church. Jesus has done some incredible things in his life. I, I could tell you about my, my friend Stacy, who showed up because she saw something on Facebook. And you fast forward, about a year and a half later, she had invited her, uh, her husband by the she had invited her mom, who was actually a Jehovah Witness. And on the exact same day, about a year and a half later, all three of them got baptized. All because of what God has done in their lives. I can tell you about a young couple that moved to the area, and, and they didn't know anyone. And so it was this scary thing. And on top of that, they were about five months pregnant at the time, and they had no idea what the heck they were doing. Which, by the way, is every young parent. You have no idea what you're doing, right? And they're scared, and they're intimidated. There's not family around. And they have this child... And for a good month after having that child, they had meals brought to their home. And they had people coming over, supporting them, helping them out, giving them practical advice on what the heck to do with this young life that you're just going, oh my goodness, I don't want to kill you, right? And I can keep telling you all these different stories of lives that have been completely transformed and virtually every single one of those stories of life change. Every testimony I can think of the church being the church, of a community of people serving other people, people being selfless, people serving others, people bending over backwards to meet the needs of other people, all of those things that, by the way, you long for, things that you hope that you're going to find here, they don't take place because of what happens here on Sunday mornings. They happen because of groups. People get out of their comfort zones. They sign up for a group. They recognize that it's not a bunch of weirdos sitting in a circle singing kumbaya for an hour that are trying to give you to drink some Kool-Aid. No, it's just normal people experiencing life together. For a lot of people in their lives, for the very, very first time, they begin to experience real, genuine, authentic community, connection with other people. They begin to actually share life with people beyond their immediate family. And guess what? They like it. And that is not an accident because we are wired for community. You are wired for connection, not isolation. And so I am so stinking excited about today. Uh, I'm so fired up about the notion of you signing up for a group because deep down, I know that not only do you want this, but truthfully, you need this as well because we weren't created to tackle life alone. But before we go any farther, I wanna pray for you and pray for me, so let me do that now. God, I just uh, thank you that you did create other people, <laughs> that you didn't just say, okay, there was just you know, one person on the earth and they're gonna live life alone, but you created for us, uh, us to, to be in community with one another, that, that we have people that can help us out when we're parenting, when we're in our marriages, when we're, we're trying to navigate this whole spirituality thing. God, we, we thank you that you created other people to come alongside of us. And so let my words be clear today. Let me talk slow enough, and uh, Father, I just beg you that you would do what only you can do today, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Now, if you haven't been here of late, we're in this series right now called The Grum Law 7, and some of you might have no idea what that is, and that's fine. Here's what The Grum Law 7 are. It's weekends, baptism, daily encounter, generosity, groups, serve, and share, and so every week we're going through one of these elements of The Grum Law 7, so we kick things off by talking about weekends, why we do what we do here on Sunday mornings. Uh, then the next week we talked about baptism, that if you were a Jesus follower, and since making that decision to follow Jesus, you have not been publicly baptized, what in the heck are you waiting for? You have no idea how your story might help other stories be told. Uh, daily encounter, we talked about that in the third week, that if you're relying on this one hour each week 
to, to sustain your spiritual life, to sustain your walk with Christ, you're gonna fall short. It's really, really important that we have that daily time where we dig into the Bible, we actually open that thing up, and we recommend it maybe starting in the book of Matthew if you've never done that before. We recommend just starting to have those conversations with God. It's gonna feel like you're talking to yourself at first. That's okay. We promise it will feel more natural as you go on. Then last week, uh, most of you weren't here because it was snowing like a banshee outside, and so you guys were probably sitting in a ditch or sitting in your living room, but we talked about generosity. Maybe you were avoiding this like the plague because you knew we were gonna be talking about money and everybody likes talking about money. But we talked about last week about generosity and it's not because Grumlaw is after your money but the only way that you are gonna experience financial freedom is when you give. And then this week we are obviously talking about groups and so if you have not been here for any of these weeks, I can't recommend you enough. Please, please, please go to grumlaw.com and uh, click on recent messages and listen to any of these messages that you may have missed. And we think that's really, really important because these seven elements are so integral to the mission and the vision of this church. So again, if you haven't been here, we hope that some of y'all are taking advantage of that. But again, today we're gonna be talking about groups. Our mission here uh, at Grumlaw is pretty simple. It's to lead people towards Jesus. We believe that Jesus desires a relationship with every single person that's sitting in this room. As your relationship gets stronger with God, your faith gets stronger. We could say it in maybe an easier to understand way. Your confidence in God grows as that relationship gets stronger. Faith or trust, as we sometimes refer to it as, is at the center of every relationship. As trust goes, so goes the relationship. At its core, this is important, at its core, Christianity is an invitation to re-enter a relationship of trust with your creator. And we think, as you explore all that, as you decide whether or not you want to become a Jesus follower, as you grow in your faith, as you take steps closer to God, that the best place to do that isn't actually here on Sunday mornings, that this is actually just kind of the tip of the iceberg. The best place to actually do that is in groups. When we get out of the rows of Sunday mornings and we get into circles in people's living rooms, because let's be honest, how open, how vulnerable are you going to be with the random dude who's sitting next to you this morning? I mean, you guys really diving into the complexities of life? I mean, how, how many of your questions about faith and spirituality and, and being a Jesus follower, what that even means, are actually getting answered here on Sunday mornings? I hope that some of them are, but I'm not naive that certainly not all of them are getting answered. I mean, are you having in-depth questions about the doubts that you're having with your faith out in the lobby after church with one of our tour guides? Probably not. And so it sounds a little bit far-fetched when I say something like this, and especially if you take it out of context, but you're going to hear me say this all the time. Groups are the most important thing that we do at Grumlaw because circles are better than rows. There are things that will happen face-to-face -face that are never going to happen shoulder-to-shoulder. -shoulder. And so there are a lot of different reasons why we think groups are so important, and in fact, we could you know, spend months going over all those reasons, but you would probably get a little sick of that. So today, we're literally gonna just focus in on one of those reasons, and it's a big reason. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about yourself, but this has been true for literally every human being that has ever walked the face of the earth. We drift. We drift. We always drift. You drift, I drift. We always drift away from what is best for us. If it's holy and it's wholesome, we drift away from it. We rarely drift in a positive direction. Think about it. Um, when you think about your exercise, think about your eating habits, your spending habits, your personal health, your spiritual disciplines. If it's good for us, we drift from it. Exercise, diets, budgets, you get the idea. But it's also true in our relationships, and not only in our relationships with people, but certainly in our relationship with God as well. It takes intentionality. It takes discipline. 
Any number of you who have been a Jesus follower for any amount of time, if you know that if you just allow the ebbs and flows of life to take your relationship with God wherever it's gonna take it, it never heads in a positive direction. The current of life rarely takes us in the right direction. This is gonna sound like an exaggeration when I say this, but in every area of life that is, that, 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 um, that, that's important, in every area of life that we value, we are swimming upstream. Your marriage, your relationship with your kids, dealing with a difficult boss, pursuing a relationship with God in a society that increasingly opposes the values that Christianity embraces, we are constantly swimming upstream. But here's the exciting thing, and you know this, it is worth it. You never regret fighting for those things. You never regret fighting for your marriage. You never regret fighting for that relationship with your kids. You never regret fighting for your relationship with God. And as I've already mentioned, when it comes to pursuing a relationship with God, you are never created to do this alone. You are called to be in community. You are called to be connected. Now, this is far from a new issue. In fact, we read about this exact same issue uh, in a letter that we call Hebrews. And the, the writer of Hebrews, we actually don't know who wrote this book. It's another book that we find in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, he tackles this exact same issue that we're talking about, which is always hilarious to me when we read the Bible and we're like, don't you think we would have gotten better at this stuff by now? I mean, the people, the things they were struggling with thousands of years ago, we're still struggling with those exact same things today. Um, and so this author, he dives into, the, into this fact that we as people, we are prone to drift. And when it comes to following Jesus, it's really, really important that we swim together rather than swimming alone. And he starts to it here. He says, see to it. So he's saying, hey, this is really, really, really important. Pay attention to this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, as in, all of us, like pay attention to this. We gotta look out for each other here. Has a sinful, unbelieving heart. And then he uses this language here that's so important, that, that, that's so, I mean, has such stark implications for our lives. He says that turns away, that turns away from the living God, that turns away. Now, what kind of an idiot would turn away from God? I mean, wouldn't it take just a special kind of stupid to know the difference between right and wrong and choose wrong? I mean, what kind of an idiot would do that? Right? Like all of us, right? We should all kind of be sheepishly putting our hands up right now because we are so prone to drift. We all drift. But then he goes on and he says, but encourage but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. So encourage each other, like literally every single day, so that none of you, again, there's this idea of this all-inclusive language, as in all of us, may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And Christian or not, you know how deceiving sin can be. He's saying, I get it. I know that life has this way of kind of tricking you into making stupid decisions, tricking you into doing things that the next morning you go, why did I do that? He's like, listen, I, I completely understand how life has this way of pulling you away from what is ultimately best for you. And I promise you that if you try to do life alone, this is what the writer's saying here, you will continue to fall short in your sinful desires that nobody appreciates. Whether you're a Christian or not, they will continue to be victorious. But he explains that there is a solution to this. There's a way to battle against this. Go ahead and put up the next slide there. He says, but encourage one another. Now, for those of you that don't know, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And so when we originally, when we translate this word that we get encouraged from, and it's in the original Greek language, it has a far richer meaning. It says, it means to appeal to, to exhort, 
to urge strongly, to beg, to implore. In other words, be in each other's lives. In the words of Michael Scott, get in each other's business. Know each other. Know what's going on in their lives so much so that you are able to detect when someone is starting to drift. In fact, be so involved in each other's lives that when you sense that he or she is starting to drift, you actually have permission to say something about it. So you don't have to face the challenges of your marriage alone. So you don't have to face the challenges in your career alone. So you don't have to face parenting alone. So you don't have to face your relationship with Christ alone. You don't have to face life alone. We is the best defense against the deceitfulness of sin in you. Because isn't it true that we all lie to ourselves? Isn't it true that we all tell ourselves things sometimes when, again, you don't have to admit this to anyone, when you're driving alone in the car, when, when you're in the shower, when you're laying awake at bed at night? I mean, what are those things that you're telling yourself these days? What are those things that you're telling yourself when you're going, man, I just can't believe he said this. I can't believe that she said this. I don't even know if I believe this anymore. I mean, what are those lies that you keep feeding yourself? The, the, these lies that, that if they go untouched, you know how detrimental they can be to your life. What are you telling yourself these days that if you were to tell someone else, they would think you've lost your mind? What are you telling yourself these days? And friends, if you don't have some ones to tell, we all know how destructive those thoughts and those feelings and those lies can be to you personally. Think about some of your darkest days. Think about some of the lowest points of your life. Don't you wish that you would have had someone who was honest enough with you that would have came up to you and said, have you lost your mind? What were you thinking? What if someone had been there for you? What if someone had been there for your brother, for your sister? What if someone had been there for your mother? What if somebody had been there for your father? What if someone had been there for your coworker, for your neighbor, for your friend? You guys, this is the power of circles. This is the power of community. It's the power of connection. And he goes on to say, he says, we have come to share in Christ. We've come to share in Christ, that, that, that we're all hoping, right, that this is going to lead to something. Not only do, do we pursue a relationship with Christ because we think it's going to make our lives better. In fact, that's why God does this. He doesn't want us to just arbitrarily follow him because it sounds like the right thing to do. He's like, no, by following me, it'll actually make your life better. And silver lining, when you die, you get to spend eternity with me. You get to spend eternity with your creator, but that's only going to happen if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. You want to stand firm in your faith? You, you want to hold on to that original conviction that you once felt? That, 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 that convicting feeling when you were at summer camp and you looked at your friend and you're like, I'll go if you go. And for whatever reason, just things finally started to click and you accepted Christ in your life. You, you want to hold on to that original conviction, that, that, that feeling when, when you came to church and for whatever reason, you have been exploring this whole Christianity thing for a long time, but for whatever reason, on one Sunday in particular, it finally made sense. And you're like, I get this. I want this. I desire to have a relationship with Christ. And from that day point forward, your life has looked a little bit differently, hopefully a lot of different. You want to hold on to that original conviction. Well, guess what? Alone, it's next to impossible. The drift starts within, so you have to let 
people in your life. We're not wired for isolation. We're wired for community. Someone can see what you can't. And we all know this. We all need some seeing too. Remember this thing started off by the writer saying, see to it, brothers and sisters. See to it that no one, as in keep an eye on everyone. We all need some seeing too. I remember uh, a couple of months ago uh, as we were, you know, preparing to launch this church, uh, I was hanging out with a friend of mine and I casually mentioned to him that my pants weren't fitting anymore. And all these jeans and suddenly they had a bacon waist, you know what I'm saying, where it's like all wavy and really uncomfortable, it kind of digs in your belt, crunches into you. And I mentioned this to him, I was like, yeah, I'm losing weight, I think. And, and I, we just kind of like went on and he was like, yeah, maybe it's because the stress of starting a church. I'm like, that probably has something to do with it. And we just kind of went on with our day and that was that. Two weeks later, he calls me and he says, ma'am, something's been bothering me. And I was like, okay, and like immediately, right, you start scrambling, thinking, what did I say, what did I do? He goes, are you doing okay? I said, what? Why, why are you asking that? He goes, you've been losing weight. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I have been. He's like, are you really doing okay? I mean, like, are you too stressed out? Like, can I do something for you? And he went on to ask me all these questions of like, what can I take off your plate? How can my family start to serve your family? Are you doing a good job at delegating? He's asking me all these questions. He's getting all up in my business and he's asking all these things and he's making sure that I was really okay. And I'm so glad that he called that day because we talked for about an hour and he really kind of pointed out a lot of things to me that I was not doing particularly well and I was taking on too much stress and my relationship with my wife and my kids were suffering as a, as a result and I wasn't spending enough time with people that I cared about. He's pointing out all these things. I'm so glad that he called. We all need some seeing too. But again, this isn't going to happen on Sunday mornings, which is why I want every one of you so desperately to sign up for a group. That is the power of groups. Because deep down, whether you want to admit it or not, you want community. You want, you desire connection with other people. So please, today, I'm begging you, sign up for a group. There's a couple different ways that you can do that. You can get involved in a group. Uh, one, you saw all of our weirdo group leaders come out here dressed up in different outfits. All those people are actually going to be standing out in the lobby immediately after service. And so one of the ways that you can sign up is that you can literally uh, go out there afterwards. They're going to be holding clipboards. You find the night of the week that works for you. You find the city that works for you. And you go out there and you sign up on one of those clipboards. If that's not your thing, if you're like, I ain't no way I am going up and having a conversation with a stranger and signing up on a clipboard. Another thing that you can do is you go to grumlaw.com groups. And you can do it like anonymously there. Well, it's not anonymous. It's going to ask for your name. But at least then you can just go online and sign up that way. So either way, we are begging you to sign up for groups. Now, some of you might be looking at this going, okay, what the the heck actually is a connect group? What's going on in those things? I'm going to give you the quick 30-second summary of what happens in a group. You show up at a random person's house, and they won't be random after a couple weeks, but at first, it'll feel a little bit random. You go into their house, and you spend about 90 minutes in that person's house, usually from like 6.30 to 8 o'clock. It'll be groups of like 10 to 16 people, and what you do at first, you just kind of get to know each other. You share a meal together, have some snacks together, and you just talk. You get to know people a little bit deeper than like the three minutes that you have conversations with people after service, and then you immediately bolt out into the parking lot. So you actually start to get involved in each other's lives. And then we dive a little bit deeper into the stuff that we're talking about here on Sunday morning. So every single group talks about the exact 
same thing. Uh, we just covered the material in a little bit more detail that we dove into here on Sunday mornings. I promise that you will find that it is probably not half as strange as you maybe have dreamt it up to be in your head. So please sign up for a group because again, we are wired to be connected. We are not wired to be isolated. Groups are so stinking important. And if you give them a chance, I'm begging you, give them a chance here this semester for this term. And if you're like, this is a waste of my time, I'm never going back, that's fine. We'll never ask you to do it again. Well, we'll ask you, but I won't personally ask you to do it again. But sign up for one of these groups. I promise you won't regret it. That is what happens when we sign up for these groups. That is where we see true transformation. It's where we see people taking next steps towards God. They are so, so important. So what I'm gonna ask you to do right now is I'm gonna have you stand up and we're all gonna pass out clipboards and everybody's gonna sign up for a group. No, I'm actually kidding about that part, but go ahead and sign up. Uh, and we're gonna enter into a time that we call worship, praising God for who he is. John's gonna tell you a little bit about that.